Uh, there's no way that we can get to all of them, but he's going to just give you some insight on that. Yeah. Well, we're excited you're here tonight. Uh, we've done this a couple times this morning, and it was quite the adventure. Um, in fact, could you share, if they, it's not too late, if you want to send in a question, here's how we're going to do it. Yes, yeah, so if yeah. you uh, would like to ask a question this evening, if, uh, if you have Twitter, you can go and at Gateway Austin, at Gateway Church Austin, and you can put the hashtag is MyRealQuestion, it's right up on the screen, MyRealQuestion. You can send in a question, and I'll be looking at, at that feed live, so it's okay to put your phones out in church, it's all right. Um, or if you have the Gateway app already, you can send in your questions through there. And that uh, app is just Gateway Church. You could look at it uh, in your app store. I think we have got a picture of what it looks like. Um, and you can just submit your questions that way as well. And we've got a list of questions that some of you have already submitted. So we're going to try to do both. Look at the ones we've already gotten and some of the live questions that are coming in. So as Ricky even mentioned earlier, uh, part of the beauty of this community is we genuinely mean and say that uh, you can come as you are and that means coming with your doubts and, and part of what I think is really important is to realize that God is bigger than our questions he's not afraid of our doubts he's not afraid of our fears and if you come to him with a sincerity with a humility of of wanting to know answers uh, you'll find he's far more open to help us in our journey than perhaps we realize uh, I do want to encourage you that it may not be in the way you think. Uh, certainly that's happened for me. But I want you to, to know that tonight what we're going to try to do is hit some of the bigger questions. If you think of a bullseye, here at Gateway, we really focus on kind of what's most essential. So we call those first order questions. Uh, these are essential to faith. Um, who is God? Uh, who is Jesus? Can we trust the scriptures? Those are sort of those questions. And the second order of questions, there are people of faith that might disagree on certain interpretations of different passages, and it does have practical implications in how you live your life, but it's not essential. And then there's a third order, and this might be, we're not really sure, and no one really knows, and we have different opinions, and it doesn't have as many practical applications. Now, we've mentioned this the last couple of weeks, uh, we were going to call this series, Is Christians Dumb?, and my hope is to prove, uh, at least, hopefully not, <laughs> is the answer. Um, but it, we're going to try to get as many questions as you can, uh, but also um, know that we're going to, at the end of this night, I'll give you this website, uh, or sorry, this email address. You can send an email, and our pastoral team will try within the next few weeks to send you a response. If there's something that's not answered tonight, it really has been something that you've needed an answer to help you move forward to either choose faith or grow in your faith, we'll help you with that. It's just email questions at gatewaychurch.com. But again, hopefully we'll get to most of those tonight. All right, I'm ready. You ready? All right, just looking at some of these questions and trying to put it in a, in a category as we look at some of these. Uh, here's my first question, uh, Eric, as we look at some of these, just try to group them. Uh, a lot of the answers that you may have are coming from the Bible, right? Um, and so for those who say, man, this is just an ancient book, this has no relevance to my life, it's just a good book of how to live life, uh, how would you say, how can we trust the Bible? How can it be something that's not just an ancient text that we study to make ourselves feel good, but why is it relevant? How is it kept? How can we trust it if it was sure. written by men? Yeah, do you guys like my big old new Bible and that fancy looking? Uh, yeah, the Bible, um, one of the best ways to understand the scriptures, um, Erwin McManus, he was a pastor, he still is a pastor, 
at uh, Mosaic in Los Angeles where I served for about 13 years. When he would describe the, the scriptures like this, the scriptures are a portal into God's presence. See, some of us, if we grew up in any sort of church context, we might have um, gotten really good at Bible trivia, but knowing information about the Bible isn't what it's really about. It's about transformation. And that happens by actually applying what the scriptures say to our lives. Now, there's a few things to help us understand how unique the Bible is in terms of ancient literature. There's nothing quite like it. I don't know if you know this, but we have about 24,000 copies of the Gospel of John, just for one example. Now, it's not necessarily 24,000 entire copies. There might be just a fragment here or a fragment there, but put all together, we have an incredibly reliable version of the Bible. Uh, the number two ancient document that we have is the Iliad, which I think is less than 700 copies that we have. Even Shakespeare's plays, from what I understand, we don't have any of his plays in their entirety. And he wrote 500 years ago. So in terms of antiquity, what we have, because we have so many copies, and you've heard us talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls, which basically were discovered and affirmed that what we already had had been passed down from generation to generation was accurate. Now, what's important to understand is the scriptures were written over the course of 1,500 years. It's different types of literature. Some is poetry. Some is apocalyptic. Some is history. Some is letters, and they're more prescriptive. And so what you're reading really matters. And so you have to understand the context. So, for example, um, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And some of those laws are to uh, basically instructing how to operate around the temple. Well, there is no temple. So obviously we can't apply that to our life. What you do is you take the Hebrew scriptures and you read them through the lens or through the filter of Jesus. And because Jesus fulfilled the scriptures and also reaffirmed some of the scriptures. In fact, he took it up a notch. He said, the law says do not murder. I say you shouldn't even harbor bitterness in your heart. The law says do not commit adultery. I say you shouldn't even have lust in your heart. He actually took it up a notch. And so the scriptures are more designed to be a book that shows us how other people interacted with God, who God really is, and how we can interact with God. Hope that helps. Yeah, that's okay. good. That's good. Can we clap it up for that? That was a good answer. Yeah. Clap it up. <laughs> wow. Uh, so nice. with that, it, it, starting with just kind of uh, scripture in, in totality, let's go to the beginning. Um, Genesis, somebody had a good question here and said, uh, explain dinosaurs. I understand there's <laughs> fossils and we have proof. I get that part. My question is, why wasn't that ever brought up in the Bible? I feel like they're hard to miss if they were real. So with that, I'll kind of tag that with creation in general. There's some who may believe uh, in a literal seven days, some who may take that a little more figuratively, uh, some who would subscribe to uh, Big Bang and evolution over billions of years. Mm -hmm. So pack dinosaurs, Big Bang, creation, all into one question. Which one was it? Do we know? How can we know? Uh, and can we still be a, a follower of Jesus and subscribe to any of those? Okay. All right. Uh, let me just say this. Um, this helped me years ago. Uh, at the very, very, very beginning of the scriptures, it's incredibly broad and mysterious. It basically communicates that God created when and how. It's not as important. The scriptures as a, it really, Genesis 1 is poetry, is actually pointing out 
God created and how he brought order. So it's super mysterious and broad. We don't know exactly when. And then the Bible gets incredibly, almost hour by hour, in four different accounts in one week in the life of Jesus, the week called the Passion. And then, so we literally can look at four different eyewitnesses' accounts hour by hour in the last few days of Jesus' life, and then he rose from the dead. And then at the very, very end, it gets very mysterious as well. And so the, the scriptures are trying to point out that God created, that he's come to rescue us, and that he's coming back to make everything right. And so how he did it, this is not a scientific textbook. It's ancient Hebrew poetry. And when you allow it to be what it actually is, it's incredibly beautiful. And we just heard last week from of Dr. Fuzz, Rana, he's an old earth creationist. So he believes that, that what science has found in terms of billions of years or millions of years, all that doesn't bother his faith at all. Um, others would say, no, no, the earth is 6,000 to 10,000 years old. It was a literal 24-hour day. And then others would say, well, no, God created and he used evolution in order to do so. Now, here at Gateway, we put that in kind of the third category. It's not essential for salvation. And, and in fact, we have people that believe all three of those and some who aren't even sure there is a God and that are part of our community, and that's okay. So I would put that in a third um, kind of category. And when it comes to dinosaurs, um, some of the young earth, that's the folks that believe that you know, we're six to 7,000 years old. It was a literal 24-hour day, which I should point out just uh, quickly. The Hebrew word for day uh, is yom, which could mean 24-hour period, but it could also mean like epoch. So on the first day, on the second day, and we even use the word day kind of like that too. When I say back in the day, I mean the 80s, all right? <laughs> When you say back in the day, you're like 2008, right? <laughs> and so we use the word day differently too. And it says in the scriptures, even those who believe in the young earth theory, it says that, and then on the seventh day, God rested and we're in the seventh day. So even with that theory, there is, oh, well then we're, I guess that day is lasting 6,000 years. So, so some of us may have grown up in a church where we were taught if it's not 6,000 years, then you can't believe the scriptures and you might as well toss the whole thing out. And we would say you can have differing opinions on the beginning and on the end. Um, that's not what the Bible's actually uh, pointing towards. What the Bible's pointing towards is God's love for humanity and coming to rescue us. Oh, dinosaurs. Uh, so some would say the behemoth and the leviathan uh, mentioned in Job could be dinosaurs. Um, others have suggested that um, when it says that once Adam and Eve sinned, then they died, although they didn't die immediately, they basically lost access to God. And so, but that doesn't mean outside of Eden, this little garden paradise that was on planet Earth, doesn't mean that animals weren't uh, eating and dying and living and dying and eating and pooping or whatever animals do. Uh, outside of that. And so, um, again, some people you'll hear, and, and it's not as prevalent now. Dr. Uh, Rana was telling me last Sunday night, we had dinner. He said 20 years ago, as an old earth creationist, he wasn't invited into a lot of uh, scientific events that Christians were holding because they were all young earth creationists. And now they co-sponsor the same event they weren't welcome to just 20 years ago. 
So a lot of has changed even in the Christian world with being more open to science. And as you, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen because uh, the, the message was called Science is Real. And in fact, it was science that helped him find faith, his study of molecular biology. So hope that helps. Yeah, that's okay. great. I heard once, uh, if God clapped his hands, it would make a big bang. There that you go, sure. There you go. Process. But hey, uh, next question would be this. Speaking of God in that, uh, if you will, that big funnel going from uh, ancient times to then Jesus, if we're somewhere in that funnel of the Old Testament, how do you reconcile, how do you bring together uh, it almost seems like there's two different gods in the Bible. Uh, Old, Old Testament God seems angry all the time, seems, seems vengeful, wrathful, a lot of death, can seem gory, and then New Testament God seems totally the opposite uh, in the person of Jesus. So how do you reconcile the two? Well, this was a problem for me for years in trying to understand. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, again, no perfect people allowed here. How many of you have ever tried to read the Bible from beginning to end and at least the first few times you didn't make it? All right. A lot of us. Um, in part because the Hebrew scriptures were written um, a long time ago. And it's, it's important to notice that really when you're reading the Hebrew scriptures, it was in a time when like the, the entire planet acted more like ISIS. And the Hebrew people were invited out of that. And they were given peculiar laws and became a peculiar people. And they were blessed by God to be a blessing to all nations. And it's because of how just remarkable the Jewish people are that we have these ancient texts preserved so well. And it was through the people of Israel that God revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Now, what's interesting is that when you read the Hebrew scriptures, it's important to understand that that is the Bible that Jesus used. Like when he refers to the scriptures, the law and the prophets, he's talking about the Hebrew scriptures. So it was important to him, important enough to know it, to quote it. Uh, but also in the New Testament, it's constantly quoting the Hebrew scriptures, and so you don't want to just let it go. Uh, it's incredibly powerful. It's a beautiful case study. But also we discover more about God than perhaps you realize. This is from Exodus chapter 34. This is God giving his uh, kind of the long version of his name. When he gave his name to Moses, he said, I am, which means the Lord or Yahweh. And so in this version, in uh, Exodus 34, he gives the long version he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, or the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now this long version of God's name is actually used seven different times throughout the Hebrew scriptures. This is his character. He is a loving God who's compassionate and gracious. But what happens is because of our misunderstanding about God, which let's be honest, some of us struggle to understand God because people of faith misrepresented God. We think of God as being angry and judgmental, maybe because we had parents who that's how they treated us. And so our image of an earthly father has skewed our vision of what a heavenly father could be. But what's interesting and what's important to realize is that God is revealing himself, and it's actually a father's love 
that continues to pursue his people, that we sometimes see God being angry. But what's happening is he's warning them, and he's so, he's so patient. Sometimes when you read so many of the prophets, you, we forget that we're reading over the course of 400 years that he was warning his people to turn back to him. I mean, could you imagine trying to get your child to do something and it taking 400 years? Uh, you would start to feel like I'm, I'm always having to be angry. The other thing that's important to notice, that when you and I think of anger, we think of being triggered, we think of losing our temper. This is very different when it comes to God. He is a holy God whose anger is righteous and in, in his patience. So for 400 years, he warns his people. And then oftentimes what he does, you see that the Bible also warns us that we reap what we sow. Now that's good news if you're sowing good things. But if you're sowing evil, the result is evil. And sometimes the scriptures tell us that God just stops protecting us. And he gives us what we've been wanting. And in fact, there's a, another verse, uh, Numbers 13, 9, or 14, 9, that says the Canaanites' protection is gone. God protected the people of Canaan before the people of Israel got there. And it says for 400 years, he was inviting them to turn. And what's interesting, there's a difference between God allowing evil to destroy evil, uh, to, to one nation take over another nation. Within those nations are individuals who are being rescued. Rahab, the prostitute, was a Canaanite. And her story is one of redemption. And so over and over and over, uh, I would just encourage you as you read the scriptures to look at it through the lens of the cross. And ultimately, when you say, well, why wasn't... Won't God just take care of all the evil on this planet? Well, if God were to remove all evil on this planet, there would be no more people on this planet. And so the way he handled the righteous indignation or God's wrath was he actually came and walked among us and took it upon himself. Some of us grew up in an environment where we hear the message of Jesus and we almost think of it as, for God so hated the world that he killed his son. But we forget that he is the Messiah. God himself was on that cross. And when he called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22, which was a prophecy from a thousand years before of what that moment would be like. But there is something that happened on the cross. It was almost like storm clouds of evil, which... All throughout his life, all these stories of like these demons and these odd things happening, a lot of those stories aren't in the Hebrew scriptures. It's like all evil, these dark forces came at him thinking, we've got him, we've got God right where we want him, we will kill him. And that's why his resurrection from the dead showed that they were wrong. You cannot kill love. Love is eternal. And his name is Yahweh. Awesome. Awesome, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, well, with that, uh, in that same breath, um, loving God, it, it can still be just. Um, and we see that in, in Jesus. Uh, one of the questions that we have here, uh, if you can kind of maybe answer this in the, same, in the same, uh, same setting that we were just in, it says, I would like to know, uh, where do I really go when I die? How can I be sure that there is life after death? And there were some other questions in here Along the lines of, uh, if God is loving, if he sent Jesus to save us, 
then why does a loving God send people to hell? Yeah, all right. Deep into the pool. Let's do it. Um, let me go back to this verse. Uh, I mentioned the wrong version of it. Let's go to John 3.16. We'll start there. How's that sound? Uh, John 3.16 and 17. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus, it tells us in verse 17, did not come to condemn the world but to rescue the world. Now here's what we need to understand. Uh, and this is kind of a mind-boggling, mind-boggling thought. Um, do you know that about 10% of all the people who have ever lived are alive right now? And if you look at a chart, like the population chart, it's remarkable how many billions of people, I mean, just literally in the last 100 years, it's just gone straight up. So there are far more people who have lived on this side of the story of Jesus than lived before Jesus. But here's what's interesting. The scriptures tell us Abraham uh, believed in God and his faith made him righteous. In other words, anyone that came before Jesus, anyone who's never heard of Jesus, if they are looking to a God to rescue them, they're in the right posture to be rescued. But anyone who says, I don't want to be rescued or I don't need to be rescued because God is loving, God is kind. He does not force himself on you and me. In fact, what could happen is if God was just concerned about, you know, morality and us all doing the right thing, he would just make us do the right thing. But instead, he gave us freedom so that in our freedom, we might choose him. And this life, say we get 70 years, 100 years, is incredibly brief when it comes to eternity. But what's happening is he's giving us an opportunity to choose him. He's giving us a tiny little glimpse of life eternal with him. We call that heaven. We also get tiny glimpses of life eternal without him. We call that hell. And we actually have the opportunity right now to make choices where we're able to see what life with God is like and what life is God uh, without God is like. And we can choose to be with him forever. Now what's Perhaps um, good news or maybe uh, disappointing news is all of us in this room, no matter what spiritual background you may come from, all of us are far more in need of God's help than we perhaps realize. But the beautiful thing is we're all far more loved by God than we realized. And there's a passage of scripture that is really beautiful. It says that God puts every person on the planet at the exact time in history and the exact place on this planet that gives them the best opportunity to find him. And so I believe that everyone who's come before us, everyone who's uh, um, living now, all of us have the opportunity to surrender, a lot, to have a life eternal with God. In fact, it says in the scriptures that this is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus whom you've sent. Eternal life is knowing God. And if you want to be with God for all eternity, it's yours. But if you don't, God will not force that. In fact, he loves us so much, he does not force us into his presence. Spiritual death is separation from God. Physical death is separation between our body and our spirit. And so um, there's a a phrase C.S. Lewis um, said that 
Hell is locked from the inside. There's no one that's separated from God eternally that doesn't want to be there. And so what we do is when we look at the scriptures is we see that Jesus is the one that came to rescue us. And I know this isn't the question, but at some point maybe we'll get there. And, but it helps me if I answer it now. All right. So have you ever wondered why are there so many different world religions? Right? There's so many different philosophies. And uh, it really helped me when I heard Erwin McManus answer this question. Somebody said, well, why do you follow Jesus with all these other world religions? And he answered, he's the only one that came for me. You see, when you study the world religions, you'll study there are certain philosophies, there are certain ideas about this or that, but there's only three that actually point to a, a, a supernatural God who actually revealed himself through scriptures and through a person. In fact, it's Judaism, it's Christianity, and Islam. Now, Islam does not believe that Jesus died, uh, but they do believe he's coming back again. In fact, Islam, the Quran, which came after the New Testament, is, uh, their theory is we're, we're trying to fix that. But they still look to Jesus as a prophet. And so here's what I would recommend. If you're here and you're skeptical and you're not sure, I would start with looking at the person of Jesus and allow that search Jesus, are you God? Did you really die and rise from the dead? Because if he did, and if he truly is, he's offering you and me life. Now, there's a, a, a philosopher, his name Mortimer Adler. I have his quote in here somewhere. It might be hard for me to find, so you'll just have to take my word for it. He was the um, uh, editor, here it is, for the Encyclopedia Britannica. And he was looking up, can any verifiable truth be found in any religions? And he's the one that boiled it down um, to those three. And eventually, in the end of his life, felt like and discovered for himself that Jesus was his rescuer. Um, the word Yeshua in Hebrew, that's Jesus' name. It means salvation, God who saves. So you can be Christian and not know God. You can be Baptist, you could be Methodist, you could be Muslim, you could be agnostic. Religion is not going to get you to God. Every one of us needs to and believe that Jesus came for people from every background. And all you must do is say, I need you. Rescue me. Forgive me. Lead me. And he will lead us into life everlasting. We get glimpses of what it's like to be in his presence, even right now. And, and that, to me, is the beauty. No other world religion is saying we're coming to rescue you. You have to do things to get to God. Only one has come to rescue us, and his name is Yeshua. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So you're saying is Jesus was the first Avenger. That's, that's great. <laughs> um, hey, one question. Uh, as we're talking about eternity with God and with God or separated from God, while we're here on earth, um, the Bible uh, talks about sin and things that separate us from God and uh, everything from lying to murder and everything in between. Um, how would you respond to the question of sexuality? Where does that fall under? Uh, why is God so concerned with what I do in my bedroom, with whom I do in my bedroom? Whatever yeah. the case may be, um, is sex outside of marriage or before marriage or uh, same sex, whatever the case may be, just in general, sexuality, why does uh, God care so much about that? And that's 1A and then 1B, um, why does the church not seem to care that much, or at least dro have dropped the ball for such a long time? Well, let's start with there. One uh, B, I think you said. Um, let me just say, part of what drew me to this community is 
uh, right there on that sign, you know, come as you are. And when I moved to Austin, I discovered uh, we do that. Uh, we are very authentic with where we're at. And I love that because it's actually um, a place from which we can really grow. I grew up in an environment where we acted one way on Saturday night and just pretended we hadn't done that on Sunday morning. And you, get, you stay stuck there. Um, and I will tell you that the church has been incredibly, um, well, I'll just use the word ungodly, judgmental, that we have um, put people into categories. We have not treated people who are divorced or people uh, living with their boyfriend or the LGBT community. We haven't treated people of color. Like the church has not been known for exemplifying Jesus's love for others. So we got to start there. That's very important. The other thing is we have to understand, uh, when I was a kid, I would ask my youth leaders, how far is too far? Because I wanted to know so I could go there, right? And, and, and it's completely misunderstanding God. Um, we think of God as uh, wanting to judge us or uh, zap us if we go the wrong direction or do the wrong thing, when in reality, he uses the image of a father and just as I'm a father to two teenagers, my conversations with them about sex are very different because I care for them and I love them and I want what's best for them. See, I thought of the Bible as a giant don't do list, like avoid all these fun things uh, if you really want to love God. And in reality, what I discovered is it's because of his love for us. He's, he's guiding us saying, if you'll trust me in this, I know better than you. That sex is actually more powerful. It actually has more uh, deeply rooted connections emotionally and spiritually and relationally than you realize. God created sex. And it was designed in the context, it's beautiful in the context of a covenant marriage. And so what happens is, it's like uh, the old illustration of fire, right? Fire is incredibly um, um, helpful when it's in a fireplace. It's warm, you can cook with it. Right? But when it's not in the fireplace, it can be destructive. And so a lot of times what God is doing is saying, just trust me. Just follow me. And if you'll trust me, you'll discover a life that's healthier, a life that's more rewarding. And so I think it's really important for us to realize that when Christians have become judgmental, when we're trying to ask non-believers to live up to a high standard that even believers are having trouble living up to, we're doing a real disservice. Because what I've discovered is if you will surrender your life to follow Jesus, he will guide you to become the person you've always longed to be. I once had somebody ask me, you know, if I follow Jesus, do I have to break up with my boyfriend? You know, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? And my response was, was actually, it's worse than that. And when you decide to follow Jesus, you have to give him everything. You surrender everything. But the beauty is he gives everything back that's best for you. And so for me, that's part of what's really important to understand is some of us are still caught up in religion. I got to do enough good to outweigh this bad. God already loves you. And because he loves you, when you say yes to following him, it's in that context that you then want to live a life that honors him. You want to trust him in every area of your life. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, can we do two more questions? Given the, Let's try it. We can try to Let's do go. it in two minutes. All right, but one quick it. one, if you can do it in 20 yep. seconds. It's 2019. 
Uh, can I be a recreational Christian? Or I'm sorry, can I be a Christian and recreationally smoke weed? All right, are you acting, asking for yourself? Yeah, no, no, not for myself. Not for myself. <laughs> I would lose my job quickly. Okay. Um, no, but uh, just, just somebody who's maybe wrestling with that question. Okay, uh, quick answer. Um, so right now it's illegal, so that solves that in some ways, uh, but it doesn't for others. But let me say it this way. First um, Corinthians 8 says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Now, that was in the context of eating and drinking. Um, I think you could make a really good case that there are lots of things besides even smoking out that we go to to find relief. It could be Netflix. It could be a bottle of wine. It could be Ben and Jerry's, the ice cream, not the two guys. (laughs) Uh, But there are lots of things that we go to to have our deepest needs met, and they will never meet those needs. And so, you know, if you're here and you've been prescribed medication, you know, I'm not saying get off of all medication, right? And, 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 and you can even make a case that um, in many ways that too often um, we don't ask God the question, God, do you want this from me? We need to be willing to surrender everything. And then again, God will give back what's best. And so... Uh, Recreational use, I mean, you could make a case for uh, Ephesians 5 says to not get um, drunk so that instead you could be uh, led by the Spirit of God. And so if you're high, like if you think about it, why are you wanting to smoke out? I think is the most important question. Uh, Not should you. That feels like how far is too far because I want to go all the way to that line, right? But I want to be kind, the kind of person. And I think you're like, like me, we want to become the kind of people who are able to live life fully uh, without anything slowing us down. And so that would be my encouragement with that question. Awesome, awesome. Uh, maybe another 30 second to a minute I'll one try. if you can. This isn't hard. This is a big category. And then I, I really want to get to this uh, last one of that absent like... God. But okay, keep um, uh, why does God allow suffering? This is a big one. Why does God allow suffering? <laughs> okay, 30 seconds Keep, um, why, why is it yeah. that it seems like there's so much evil in the world? How do we get rid of it? What do we do about the kid who's yeah. two, three years old, born with cancer and passes yeah. away? Um, yeah. Why is there so much suffering and why doesn't God do something about it? Yeah. I've been at funerals for little ones and it is devastating. And I think it's important to understand that God is with us in the midst of our pain. I mean, Jesus told us to pray every day. We should be praying the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason that's in the prayer is because things are not the way they should be. Evil happens. Evil happens to us. But one thing we need to know is that God is with us in the midst of the pain. And there are some things we just will not understand on this side of eternity. But there's something remarkable about a God who can bring good out of even the worst moments in our life. That's the kind of God who loves you and me. The kind of relationship we have is that somehow, and, and talk to people who've been through tragedies, and they'll tell you some of the times they felt closest to God and they see the most kind of beautiful things happen was when they took that tragedy and they put that into the hands of God. See, tragedy can either drive you away from God or drive you closer to God. 
And I just want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, whatever you've been through, God was not absent in the midst of that. I did want to read a C.S. Lewis quote that might be helpful. He said, if you think of this world as a place simply intended for happiness, you will find it quite intolerable. But if you think of it as a place for training and correction, it's not so bad. And when we think of a little one that we lose, I mean, there's a beautiful verse that says that God rescues us and takes into his presence to protect us from evil. We don't know why God allowed this to happen, but we can trust him when it does. Thank you. Uh, Last one, um, if you will. Uh, Why does God seem so absent? Uh, Somebody wrote here, it seems like I pray to him and he doesn't hear me. I can't feel him and I can't see him. Uh, Why does he seem so far away? Yeah. Uh, Let me encourage you, keep pressing in. And the more you press into your faith, the more God will reveal himself to you. Again, it may not be in the way that you expect. But part of what's beautiful, uh, my encouragement to you is to to spend time in the scriptures. And the Bible Project can be a a tool that helps you. Go to BibleProject.com, watch the little videos, their cartoons, if that helps. Uh, It gives you the context for every single book in the Bible. And then you can read the scriptures and, and try to apply them to your life. To pray but also to get connected to community. Uh, just after uh, the first service this morning, a woman came up to me and she asked a similar version of that question. You know, sometimes God feels so far away and sometimes I just need a hug. So I gave her a hug. And I've shared a similar story of what happened to me in Los Angeles years ago. And I said, sometimes the way that God answers, uh, the way that God reveals himself is through his people. And so just sitting here on Sundays, man, we are so glad that you're here. Keep coming. Come every week you can. But, but when you're ready to step into a, a network event, to just get to know some other people, I'm telling you, having other people in your life that can get to know you, that you can get to know, it is so beautiful. Where they might, even the second service this morning, somebody texted me, or somebody texted a guy sitting right over here who's kind of new, newly uh, recommitted in his faith. And he's like, man, look at this. While you were speaking and you were reading Exodus 34 about God's long version of his name during the sermon, during the message, my buddy in Mississippi texted me that same verse. God was speaking to him, reminding him of who he really is. So I want to give you three real practical things. All right. You can jump into if you're a woman and you like to eat, Come to the women's brunch. That's a great next step. It's next Saturday morning, 10 to noon. If you're in your 20s, we have the summer bash. I'm telling you, it's the very first summer bash of any of your summer bashes. It's next Saturday night, right there, May 11th, 4 to 6. You can get connected to some others in their 20s. Uh, If you're married, we're doing something for uh, couples called Maximizing Marriage on the 19th. And these are just easy ways to go from sitting in the crowd to coming and getting to know some people, sitting around a table, enjoying, uh, getting to know some others. Walking, this life is too hard to do on your own. And sometimes God reveals himself when we love each other. And so that's why if you're following Jesus, it's important to respond to those whispers, those promptings. See, I I used to think that God was uh, silent. You know, I'd never heard him Uh, you know, speak audibly, Eric, turn left at the light, you know, I've never had that experience, but I've had moments where a thought would pop into my head, and it was a crazy thought, because it would require selflessness, so it must not have been for me, 
It required courage, and it was consistent with God's character as revealed in the scripture. God whispers his thoughts to us. He reveals himself to us through creation, through the scriptures, through conversations with other people. There was a season in my life where I just felt like God was so silent, and I remember wanting to start writing down any miracle, because people were having miracles all around me, and I seemed to have none. And I remember after a few days just becoming more and more aware that I was actually in my dorm room for hours, and I finally had to say, God, is it okay if I stop writing down all these ways you've revealed yourself? Because I I need to go out and live life. It was almost like my eyes were opened. I had a whole new perspective. God was everywhere. Whereas before, he felt like he was nowhere. So let me encourage you. Uh, Send your questions. Email us, questions at gatewaychurch.com. If we didn't get to it, we'll try to do so at least via email. But can we thank Ricky for helping us out tonight? Thank you so much. Clap, clap. And uh, the band's going to come out. We're going to do something a little different. They're going to come out, and they're going to lead us in two songs. And it's only 10 minutes. But what, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. And during these 10 minutes, I want you to use this as an opportunity to connect with God. And here's how you do it. It could be just allowing the band to sing over you. And while they're singing, just in your own heart, just ask God to speak to you. And maybe he'll reveal some things that you need to let go of, some things you need to surrender or maybe someone will come to mind that you need to reach out to, to love, to serve somehow. Or maybe it's singing these words, actually singing them like a prayer, asking them to feel true even as you're singing them out. But before we do that, I want to do something we don't ever usually do, but I want to do it tonight. I want to ask you just to create the space for everybody around you and for yourself. If you feel comfortable, just close your eyes. And even if you want to, to bow your head just to get rid of all the distractions. And if you are at a place where you want to renew or you want to start a relationship with God, I'm just going to pray a prayer that if you mean this, you'll just say in your heart to God. God, thank you for creating me, for loving me. Forgive me for going my own way. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross and that you rose from the dead. Jesus, would you lead me? I want to experience the fullness of life that you offer simply by being willing. So I humble myself and I ask you to forgive me and to lead me. It's your name we pray.